0: All right, I know what you're used to. What you usually see when you come here to visit me at this exact time every day is you think you're going to have the best time of your day because that's what the simultaneous sip is really every time. But today, it's going to be better than that, I'm going to give you the only thing that's better than the simultaneous sip. Are you ready? The only thing that's better than the simultaneous sip? Ah, I'm just kidding. There's nothing better than the simultaneous sip. Come on. Get out of here. Let's have it. Let's have at it. All you need is a cover mug or a glass of tanker or chalice or jug or flask of a vessel of any kind. Fill it with your favorite liquid. I like coffee. And join me now for the unparalleled pleasure of the dopamine hit of the day the thing that makes everything better, including autocorrect pandemics pretty much everything go All right somebody was making me laugh in the uh, comments because yesterday uh, autocorrect played a little joke on me <laughs> so I had uh, I had author Bjorn Lomborg on Periscope yesterday, most of you saw it, and when I typed in the title into Periscope, Periscope changed it to Lamborghini, so I can't really edit it after it's published in Periscope, you can change it in YouTube and other places, but in Periscope you can't really go back and change it because it's like a tweet, so (laughs) I have somebody on to promote his book and I, I don't even get his name right. But I'll correct that now. It's Lamborg... Not Lamborghini. It's Lamborghini. All right. You probably are all aware that Twitter got hacked. And boy, did Twitter get hacked. Talk about a good hack. I'm kind of... You know, do you ever have that feeling when you hear about a really good serial killer? Um, I'm not proud of this. But every now and then, I'll hear a story about some serial killer who, you know, built an underground bunker to keep his victims, and he had a plan, and he operated for years. And I'll have two different feelings about it. One, well, that's awful. Uh, that's, that's the worst thing, you know, I've heard today. <clears throat> that's, that's one feeling. And then the other feeling I get is, that's kind of industrious. You know, if I'm being fair, you know, he's not lazy. He's, you know, he's good at executing a plan. <clears throat> Maybe a systems over goals kind of guy. I don't know. But I'm always impressed when, uh, when people put a little, little effort into it. All right. Um, and these hackers for, uh, for Twitter, they had a really good plan. The plan was, and I guess it worked, they somehow um, allegedly, we don't know if this part is true yet, but there's some suggestion that they may have bribed uh, somebody within Twitter to give them some access. They took over some accounts, some big ones like Biden, Elon Musk, and then they tweeted from their accounts as if they had been tweeting, and they tweeted that uh, if, for, on behalf of some fake charity, that if you would send them two thousand dollars, no, one thousand dollars in Bitcoin, you would get back two thousand dollars. Now. I don't know how many people in the world are dumb enough to fall for that, but it turns out it's at least 100. <laughs> so if you're wondering to yourself, Scott, that you said that was a clever plan? That's not a clever plan. Who in the world would be dumb enough to send a, a stranger or a strange charity $1,000 in, in the hopes that they would send you $2,000 back? That doesn't even make sense. Well, it turns out if enough people see that offer, you're going to get a few hundred, and that's what happened. And the the brilliance of the plan is that because the tweeting came from uh, well-established accounts that would not scam you, you thought, well, Elon Musk isn't going to you know, run some scam and Joe Biden isn't going to run some scam in the middle of an election. But there it was. Now, what's interesting is... Um, You may not know this, but Joe Biden is not actually the only person who's running for president this year. There's this other guy, you've heard of him, Trump. And uh, what does it tell you that Biden was selected but Trump wasn't? (laughs) Now, it could be. It could be that there's a political element to this, but probably not. Here's what I think. I think they thought Biden would be more convincing, I think they just figured that Biden would be more likely to do this and that people would trust Biden more than uh, Trump if it looks suspicious, and they're probably right. So that was a a clever hacker plan, probably more clever hacking than it was um, uh, anything political. All right. There are news stories about so-called refrigerated uh, trucks to put all the bodies from the coronavirus deaths. You've heard the refrigerated truck story before. Maybe it's true this time. Maybe it was true the other time. But what do I tell you about persuasion? I tell you that if you can't make it visual, it's not nearly as good. So compare these two versions of a story. One, hospitals are impacted. They're overloaded. People are, you know, there's lots of pressure on them, et cetera, all right? So that's sort of the generic conceptual description of what's happening in the hospitals compared to uh, three refrigerated trucks pulled up to hold all the bodies, right? Those are not comparable. One of them is a movie because you can actually see the trucks pulling up in your head. That's that's persuasive. If you can see it as a movie, you're already half-persuaded. If it's a concept, your brain doesn't hold it, it doesn't stick to things as well, because you want to activate your visual part of your brain to to get something done. So, I would ask you, how true is it that these refrigerated trucks are really going to be used and they really exist? I think in in today's world, you just have to doubt that. That doesn't mean it's untrue. If it turns out that they're really used, that would be terrible, and and I would say, oh, well, okay, well, that's that's what they reported. But you have to at least put a little bit of skepticism in this story. I don't know how much. 25% minimum, I would say. I would say dial up your skepticism to at least 25% on the refrigerated corpse trucks, which might be totally real, 75% chance, but eh, I don't know. Um. I am amazed and agog. I don't know what agog means exactly, but I think I'm agog. Alexa, define agog. As an adjective, agog is usually defined as. Defined as? by eagerness, curiosity. Eagerness and curiosity. Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. That's enough. Calm down. All right. With eager curiosity, uh, I look at these stories about uh, that. They seem to be settled now. So apparently, gun purchases are way up. (laughs) And in the past, when there have been gun purchases, because you know, whenever there's a big story in the news about any any kind of upheaval in this country, there there always are more gun purchases. But in the past, apparently, those gun purchases were primarily. Uh, they were primarily for people who already owned guns. This time, 40% of the gun purchases are people who never owned a gun before. 40%. <laughs> what does that mean? 40% are new gun owners. Somebody asked online, um, somebody asked uh, how many of them were Democrats. I would also ask how many of them did not answer a poll? <laughs> Um, but here's the part that's amazing. The, the gun debate is just over. But there are no stories about the gun debate being over because it would be kind of embarrassing. Now, if you can think way, way, way back to a year ago and beyond, um, I'm pro-Second Amendment, pro-gun. And uh, although I'm left of uh, Bernie in general, I describe myself that way, uh, gun, gun ownership is one of those things that isn't really left or right, a gun is a tool. Would you agree? That even thinking of guns as a political topic doesn't exactly make sense to me. Because I don't think that my, my hammer or my saw are political, right? I just think of them as tools, and a, a firearm for self-defense is just a tool. So I don't really think of that as either left or right, which is why I give myself the freedom to just say, well, all right, is it a tool I need? Is it a tool I might need? Is it a tool anybody needs? So that's the only way I think of guns. I don't think of it politically. And one of the biggest arguments was, what happens if the the government goes bad and tries to take over the citizens and become a dictatorship? And people would argue, well, it's a good thing we all have guns, because that would make that less likely. And other people would argue, no, you can't go up against the government, because they have tanks and nuclear weapons and, and stuff, to which I've always said, that's not what the fight looks like. <laughs> that's not what it would look like. You know, what are you imagining? Are you imagining a line of tanks and soldiers on the right, and then the left, a bunch of citizens with their handguns and you know some, some rifles and stuff? That's not what's going to happen if there were any kind of a dictatorship kind of takeover, it would be more house to house, if you know what I mean. So anybody who was on the side of the government would get a visit by their neighbors. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it would be nothing like some big battle. It would be, let's visit your neighbor because uh, your neighbor uh, has a family member who's on the dictator side. That's what it would be. And and that would be enough To keep the dictator in control, because the citizens would would have just too much power. One of the things I had not specifically thought of, but now you can't unthink it, is what happens if there's a civil war that just comes from the citizens themselves? Because that's sort of the the feeling that you're getting with these protests, is it's it's approaching something like a civil war. My opinion is it's not and that your your feeling about it is way overblown. But it feels like that. And uh, anybody who's lived through this period is done with the, the gun conversation. It's just over. And I don't even think I would address anybody who wanted to talk about it at this point. It feels like it is so off the table that if somebody said, Scott, do you want to come and represent one side in the gun debate? here would be my answer. What gun debate? What gun debate are you talking about? Oh, you mean in the past? Do you have a time machine where I can go back in the past and have a debate back when there was actually something to debate? There's no longer a debate. (laughs) This ended it. But the other one that that may have ended recently in a very quiet way is climate change? Have you heard of Climate change? Climate change just got a little uh, gut punch by Joe Biden being in favor of nuclear energy. Do you know who else is in favor of nuclear energy? The Trump administration and the, uh, the Department of Energy working quite aggressively for nuclear energy. Do you know what everybody who could actually do math and science Do you know what they think is really the only way you're going to get to some kind of a uh, no-carbon situation? Nuclear, pretty much. I mean, everybody's in favor, I think, of doing more research and if you could figure out, you know, better batteries or better energy or something. Sure, sure, everybody's in favor of that. But at the same time, if you're not doing nuclear, well, you're not trying that hard. You're not really serious. So... I think the, the climate change argument just sort of disappeared and it, it got attacked from two different directions in a very important way. Direction number one is what are you going to do about it, <clears throat> right? So, there's, so how bad is it and what are you going to do about it are the two questions about climate change. Would you agree? How bad is it? What are you going to do about it? The what are you going to do about it apparently is roughly the same on the left and the right right? Because Biden did not take the extreme Green New Deal stuff like getting rid of airplanes. He just made some aggressive goals that are, you know, so many years in the future that you don't even care about the deadline. It doesn't even mean anything so far in the future. And it's just not that different the way it feels from what the Republicans are already doing. Now, sure, there might be some more investment in green stuff, but I don't know. Has anything has much come out of it yet i I'm not sure that the citizens will see much of a difference anymore, but here's the other part so that's that's the what do you do about it part. The other part is the how bad is it, which you know drives the what do you do about it and that's where I think these two books that i 've talked about this week <clears throat> you know bjorn lomborg's book and here's the important part, and uh, this is the same with uh, michael Schellenberger's uh, book um, Apocalypse Never, which I talked about earlier, both books are in the same, let's say, family of criticism, which is, yes, humans are warming the earth. So both of them start with that assumption. This is a big deal. They start with the assumption that, yeah, it's true, humans are warming the earth, but then they make a far stronger argument, both uh, Bjorn and Bjorn, Lomborg, and Michael Schellenberger, both of them with new books, both of them will make a big impact, and it's just eviscerating the argument that there's a problem as big as they say. They've just eviscerated it. And as long as these two books are out there, and people like you are willing to tell people, hey, check out these books, you're really completely eliminating the how big a problem is it? part of the equation at the same time you're saying it's not that big of a problem if we do everything right and by the way we're doing everything right because we kind of are (laughs) which is pursuing every form of energy fairly aggressively is exactly what you should do every form of cleaner energy so i would say that climate change just went from the biggest problem in the world to Oh, that looks like that's heading in the right direction. So a lot of the a lot of the energy is just going to come right out of it, I think. Um, education is continuing to evolve, and I'm loving the conversations uh, where people are really starting to let's say they're trying they're picking it apart to redesign it. A lot a lot of us are doing that in our minds, but there uh, no doubt lots of people working very hard to figure out which part of the education is the important part, which is really an interesting process, isn't it? If you think that the education system just was you know, designed hundreds of years ago and just evolved a little bit, and it's still basically reading and writing and sitting in the classroom and listening to a teacher. And the fact that we're picking that apart now and saying, all right, throw away all the assumptions. Maybe it doesn't need to be a teacher. Maybe they don't need to be in the same place what about these classes do you need a college education ivanka says companies will cha- train you to uh, do the specific job so having everything in question about maybe the most important thing that society does which is educate because everything everything good follows from that right you know once you get your people up to speed good people create good outcomes so, the fact that our most basic and important, and I would say our alpha, our alpha system, can I call it that? The, 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 or the apex system? The system that makes all the other systems work, education, is now going to really probably have a complete overhaul, I think. Here, here's my uh, suggestion for how to improve it. And I don't know if this is high school or this is college or maybe it doesn't matter. But here are, the, here are the class categories that I would have. This is sort of evolving over time, so you've heard a little of this. One would be a class on, uh, or maybe it's even a major, on life strategy. Things that you would see in such as in my book, How to Fail at Almost Everything and Still Win Big, where I teach things like systems are better than goals and skill stacks are good. So knowing, knowing the user interface for life, feels like that just should be a course or even a major. That's so important because if you don't get the basics of, well, wait, how does the world work? If, if you do more of this and less of this, do you get a better result? And the answer is if you know which button, yes, but you got to know which button to push. I would have a course on how to make decisions. Um, I do that a little bit of that in my book, Loser Think. Actually, that's mostly what the book is about, but that could be taken further. If you look at um, most of the problems in the news today from guns to uh, green technology to racism to everything else, they all seem to have a common problem. What is the common problem with you know, everything, guns, racism, green technology? The common problem is that the differences in our opinions are differences in ability to analyze. They're not actually political opinions. These are fake disagreements. If people knew how to analyze things properly, they just knew how to compare two things. You know, can I compare this, this pen to this pencil? Now, you think it's common sense. Well, you know, you don't need to take a class to compare a pencil to a pen. It's just obvious. And that's where everybody goes wrong because it's not. It's just not. You've got to take into a lot of a lot of things into account to do a proper comparison, and you do need to learn it. It's not something that's common sense. I would have a course on persuasion, similar to my book Win Bigly, because if you can't persuade, you can't get much done. Can't get a job. Can't sell something. Can't get a mate. Yeah, persuasion is pretty important. And then communication in general, which. Persuasion might be a subset of. It. So that's what I would teach. And then maybe entrepreneurship. So a little bit about how would you start a business if you wanted to, and what would you need to do if you started a business? You know, what's a corporation? What's a partnership? Just some basics. And these would be my, at least the beginning of a core platform. Now, obviously, you need the reading and writing and science background, et cetera. So you need. You need some basics, but this is where I'd go. Uh, Here's a little thing that you don't learn in school, but look, just consider, if you will, I'm gonna give you a little tip on one topic that is not covered in school, and yet it could be one of the most basic, important skills that a person can have, and most of you are not good at it, but you could be with maybe half an hour of, of, of instruction and that is sleep. Sleep should be considered a skill, not the default condition of your body when it's night and you're tired. We kind of think of of sleep as just the thing that sort of happens at night and how hard is it, you know? There's no skill involved in sleeping, but there is. Now, there may not have been skill involved in sleeping in the past, because it was a simpler world, and things weren't complicated. and Maybe it was different. I don't know. Maybe people didn't drink as much coffee in the caveman days. But in the modern days, sleep is so important to your performance, and really your whole quality of life, that if you don't do it right, it makes a big difference, and you should. Now, I've given you sleep tips before, but here's a new one. And this won't work for everyone. This is a sleep tip that worked for me. I would be interested if any of you want to try it out with the open-mindedness of, well, if this doesn't work, <laughs> you know, I lost a, a week of trying something that didn't didn't hurt me, right? So I'd like you to just try it. But you know, some of you this won't work. Uh, you'll know if you'll know if you're one of the people that it works for. It goes like this. If I go to bed and I can't sleep because I'm just too wound up, Here's what I tell myself. You probably tell yourself, or the average person would say, darn it, I can't sleep. I can't sleep. What happens when you tell yourself over and over again you can't sleep? <laughs> well, it doesn't help. It doesn't help. So that would be a bad mindset. Let me tell you what I do. When I can't sleep because, because my body is just wound up and I'm not ready to sleep, I tell my body that I didn't work hard enough that day. Now, your immediate reaction should be, uh, why does that work? Uh, You need a little more explanation, right? It goes like this. It helps me not a bit that night. So that night, I'm just going to struggle to fall asleep. So that tip doesn't help me one bit the day that I say it to myself. I didn't work hard enough. But the next day, It's like 7 o'clock at night, and I'll say to myself, ah, I have not exercised today. I got busy, I wanted to, but I didn't. So now you say, all right, I would never exercise at 7 o'clock at night, but I'm not going to be laying in bed again tonight and tell myself I didn't work hard enough. So uh, workout clothes on, hit the road, walk, run, ride your bike, lift some weights, go to the gym back when people had gyms and they could go to them and they didn't die from going to the gym. So that mindset, if you start programming it into yourself, will cause your day to be more productive because instead of saying, what's the easiest way I can get through things, you'll start managing your energy in a way that by the time you hit the bed at whatever your bedtime is, 10 o'clock, you're only going to want to sleep. I push myself to the point where I know I will sleep well. That's one of the ways I manage energy. I've said before, and a lot of people have found this very useful, that you should not manage your time. You should manage your energy. Now, of course, you have to manage your time to show up to appointments. But think in terms of managing your energy to to create uh, the best energy for the task and then to make sure that you've used your energy up by the end of the day when it's time to go to bed and that you haven't used it up at noon because it's going to be a tough day. <laughs> you use it all up early. But you've, you've made sure that you uh, did a physical, physical work and mental work that will get you in the sleeping point of view. So that's the advice. Sleep is a skill, and that skill starts when you wake up. Right. So your skill of sleeping at night starts when you wake up. And you manage your energy in your day to get yourself in the right condition to sleep. It's, a, it's an all-day process. So if anybody tries that, let me know if it works for you. I think it's the kind of framing that will appeal to some kind of uh, mindsets that are already, already in, in place. It won't work for everybody. All right. Um, Tony Schwartz, who's some kind of a political commentator, I think he's on the MSNBC, he said this in a tweet, it might sound like a familiar sounding tweet. Who who has ever said something vaguely similar to this before? See if it rings any bells. He said in a tweet, Tony Schwartz did, if somehow, some way Trump is reelected, I won't consider it safe to continue to live in the United States. That will be true, I believe, for many of those who have publicly opposed Trump. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) It's, It's kind of what I said if Biden won the election. Now, let's compare the two assertions. So I've said that Trump supporters would be unsafe in a world in which Biden became president and, let's say, the left became emboldened. And Tony Schwartz is making the exact same claim, except saying that it would be unsafe to be a vocal Democrat in a world where Trump is re-elected. Which of those claims seems more true? Would it be more dangerous to be on the left or more dangerous on the right if you're not the one whose uh, preferred candidate is in power? Well, how could we figure out which of those seems more reasonable? Is there any kind of test you could do before the election to see what the mood is in the country. Well, I would suggest a test. How about Tony Schwartz uh, puts on a uh, MAGA hat and goes to a public place? And then I will do the, I'll do the opposite. I'll wear a Biden, Biden for president hat, and I will visit the same public place, or, or any other place. In fact, I'll go further. I will put on a Joe Biden hat, and I will attend a Trump rally in a Joe Biden for president hat. And I will be completely safe. <laughs> let's just try it. Let's, let's make it more fun. Let's say that Tony Schwartz has to wear a Make America Great Again hat to a Biden uh, event, if there ever is one. that's not televised. Uh, that's not just digital, and so he'll take a MAGA hat to a a Democrat event, and I'll wear a Joe Biden hat to a a MAGA-Trump event, and we'll just do an experiment and see who gets the shit beat out of them. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that I would get some mocking, and I would get some looks from going to a Trump rally. but. I'll also bet you that the people who are mocking and maybe looking at me at the Trump, wait for it, are smiling, right? If you went to a Trump rally wearing a Biden hat, the first thing people would do when they saw you is they would smile, because they would think it was funny. They would think it was funny. And they might say, hey, what are you doing here? You're in the wrong rally. And give me a hard time. Would I ever feel physically threatened at a Trump rally? Not even a little bit. Wearing a Biden hat. Not even a little bit. It wouldn't feel the slightest bit physically dangerous. But of course, they'd give me a hard time. But I guarantee they would be smiling when they did it. Do you think it would work the same way the other way? I don't think so. All right. Um... Let's see. Uh, have you watched an interview on live video with Trump's niece, Mary Trump, who has uh, got a book that is critical of her uncle, Donald Trump? How many of you have seen her on video? I, I don't want to be unkind. I'm just going to say this. You should see her... uh, I think she talked to George Stephanopoulos, so there's some clips. I'm just going to say this. You should spend 10 seconds looking at a clip of her talking. And again, I won't be unkind. I'm just suggesting it's worth 10 seconds of your time. And I'm not even going to give you my opinion of her book, because in 10 seconds of listening to her talk, you will have the same opinion I do. (laughs) So I don't need to talk you into anything. Just spend 10 seconds. See if you can get the vibe of what's going on here. See if you can just get a feel for the person. And then you're going to have the same opinion I do, and I'm not even going to state it. Brad Parscale apparently has uh, been replaced as the head of the campaign for Trump. We don't know what is behind that, but if you believe rumors on, on uh, Twitter, there might be some personal relationship situation going on there, uh, not between Trump and Pascal, but there there might be something personal going on, and one wonders how that, I especially wonder when there is this suggestion. And I don't know who put this idea into the public's mind. Can somebody tell me where did this idea come from? Like, why are you people even thinking this? There's some kind of a widespread thought that there are these secret Trump supporters that are lying to pollsters. Where does the public get ideas like this? It's crazy. Oh, wait, I might have been part of that. Um, and this is how, uh, this is how CNN uh, writes a headline for a story about the, the belief, by, uh, belief by voters that there are shy Trump supporters. It's called 2020's Latest Boogeyman, Secret Trump's Voters. 2020's Latest Boogeyman? So I guess that means that if you're a Democrat, the Republicans are trying to scare you by telling you that there's this boogeyman in the form of these hidden uh, Trump voters that are gonna get you. They're gonna get you. They're hiding. And there was a Monmouth Monmouth poll, maybe you heard of it, in which they gave uh, Joe Biden a 13 point lead in Pennsylvania. So you say, wow, he's really doing great in these competitive states. And then, uh, but then they also asked Pennsylvanians uh, whether they thought there was a secret Trump voter out there, you know, a lot of them, and 57% believe there's, there are hidden Trump voters. 57% of Pennsylvanians, Pennsylvanians think their neighbors are lying to pollsters. <laughs> 57%. <clears throat> but then CNN, after giving it a, a headline, calling it a boogeyman, which would suggest it's not real, uh, further down in the story on their website, they say, the idea of, quote, secret voters is not entirely far-fetched. In the aftermath of Trump's 2016 win, one study suggested, quote, the people who kept their vote a secret overwhelmingly voted for Trump. <laughs> Did you need to see a survey to tell you that the people who wouldn't tell you who they were voting for voted for Trump? <laughs> Look at all the uh, look at all the undecided voters. How many undecideds are there? Or let's say independents, because independents are really fake undecideds. They're really decided. They just pretend they're not. Uh, <laughs> somebody says forty three percent of Pennsylvania voters are poorly informed. That sounds about right. Anyway, uh, we'll see how big that buggy man is, because. Uh, you know, I, I can't get past this. See if I'm on the wrong page with this. The, the reason that I think the, the hidden Trump vote is bigger than it was in 2016, and, and potentially really, really big, two reasons. One, it's more and more obvious that it could be physically dangerous and economically dangerous to admit you're a Trump supporter. So the first thing is that the danger has gone up. Would you agree? The danger has increased for admitting you're a Trump supporter. So if nothing had changed but that, there should be more hidden Trump supporters this year than 2016. But that's not the only thing that happened. Another thing that needs to happen for persuasion is to think about it. You have to actually think of it. So if nobody had ever suggested, hey, maybe you could just lie to the pollster, if nobody had ever suggested that, then people would have to think of it themselves. Some of them would. Some of them would just say, I'm not comfortable with this, and they would just naturally lie to the pollsters. But what happens when you suggest it? What happens when you put it out there as a national story? You know, last time there were a lot of people hiding, and how did that turn out for the people who were hiding? How did it turn out for the people who were hiding, you know, the secret Trump supporters in 2016? The way it turned out was better than anything that they've ever seen in their life, politically. The the unexpected win of Trump, and the night that you learned it, and the way that you felt if you were a Trump supporter, and especially if you were a hidden Trump supporter, was something that I would describe as really, really good. You would feel really, really good. Like, your whole body would feel good. You would be exploding with... uh, you know, dopamine and serotonin and whatever else makes you feel good. Those people got a, a physical reward that lasted for months. You know, speaking for myself, from the day of that surprise Trump victory, and I had more, more skit in the game because I had been publicly predicting it for so long, but the feeling of, that you got with that surprise victory, it lasted months. Now... All of the people who lied in 2015 and 16, do you think they're lying again? Of course. Of course. Why wouldn't they? Because their reasons to lie are better than ever. And it worked out. And if the prank works again, because the first time I think it was just people hiding. But this time there's another motivation. The prank. Right? The prank is really attractive. (laughs) And the prank is the surprise, because as much fun as you had when it looked like Hillary Clinton had a 90% chance of winning toward the end, and oops, there you go. I guess 90% wasn't good enough. We're heading toward a place where the polls are so wide that on election day, it might be a 99.99% predicted result that Biden will win. How will Democrats feel if there's a 99.99% prediction from the experts that biden will win and trump wins again again how are, the, how, are how are how are they how are they going to take it the democrats well you everybody remembers these screaming voters the democrats who lost you know the, there's this famous iconic picture of the, the woman going ah you and uh, being upset You can't tell me if you're a Trump supporter. You haven't looked at that picture a hundred times since 2016 and laughed every time, every time. So the situation is sort of picture perfect for the biggest prank ever played in political history. If this is what it looks like, and it definitely looks like it to me, I, I, I think it's hard to say that's definitely what it is. You know, we don't live in a world of certainty, But if I were going to have to put money on it, I would say that the hidden Trump supporter is far and away bigger this time than it was last time and maybe bigger than any election ever because there's a genuine fear. It's in people's minds. It's a bigger fear than it was before. And the prank, the prank of it, just the surprise that could be coming, just could be the funniest thing you've ever experienced in your whole freaking life honestly. And that's so attractive. We'll see. So here's how uh, CNN handled an interview that um, President Trump did in which he was asked about was it, uh, was it Catherine Harridge or somebody asked him this question? Um, so here's the headline from CNN. Trump gets upset when asked about police killing black Americans. What, what would you think the story going to say if the headline is Trump gets upset when asked about police killing black Americans? Doesn't the headline suggest that the president doesn't care about police killing black Americans? Doesn't it feel like they're, they don't say that, but the way it's phrased is sort of suggesting that they can tell his attitude and that he doesn't really care about black people being killed by police. But is that what happened? Well, let's talk about what actually happened. So during an interview, this is from CNN, with CBS News, uh, President Donald Trump responded to a question about why black Americans are still dying at the hands of law enforcement by saying, quote, more white people are killed by police, and calling the question terrible. Now, of course, they took him out of context so that you wouldn't know exactly why he was saying the question was terrible. It's a little unclear. So they've, they've mucked up the, their description, so you don't know what he was really getting at. Right? They just took the meaning out of it and put their own meaning on it. Now, if you saw live, what he was getting at is that the terrible part is that you would focus on only the deaths of one group of people when the larger group of people were white. Is that an unfair thing for a president to say? Maybe we should focus on the largest group of people who are getting killed, not the smaller group. Or maybe we should at least include the larger group in the conversation. He didn't say you should focus on the larger group. He said it should be in the conversation, which is completely fair. So how did uh, Caitlin, whatever, uh, on CNN report on that? She summed up the piece because it was part of a video package on Jake Tapper's show. uh, And she sums it up by saying that uh, police kill uh, black Americans at a rate of 3.5 times more than whites. Is that true? No, it's fake news. Because she does the same data analysis mistake that caused all the protests, it's the same mistake. Do you think it's a really a mistake, or do you think it's, a, it's an intentional lie? Well, what she says is technically correct, but it's used to mislead, obviously. And I'll tell you why. So that what she's doing is saying that if you just look at, at the percentage of the population, black citizens are killed at 3.5 times more higher rate than whites. That's true. It's also the wrong thing to measure, because the only police are not stopping people for no reason and killing them. They're only, the only time anybody gets killed is if they have a police encounter. So the only thing you should count is the number of police encounters. If you do that, it turns out white and black deaths are, are comparable as a percentage. So she's simply making a data analysis error that you have to ask yourself, is she really so dumb that she doesn't know she's doing this? I don't know. Do you? Is, uh, I forget Caitlin's last name, Caitlin something, the correspondent, the White House correspondent for CNN? Caitlin Collins. Uh, Caitlin Collins. I can't tell if she's actually not good at analyzing or, or if she's intentionally ignoring the useful number in favor of the one that just causes riots and is not useful. Don't know. Um and so the question I ask for you is this. You yeah, know we're we're big on free speech and should be. But doesn't this get really close to shouting fire in a uh, crowded movie theater? So you know the old uh, the old saying that we have freedom of speech but you still can't yell fire in a crowded theater because that kind of speech would certainly cause people to be hurt, you know, as they try to get out of the theater and There'd be pandemonium. So if we take as a standard that you have complete freedom of speech unless, unless it's going to immediately cause people to hurt themselves, that's sort of the, where we draw the line. No, 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 you can't, you can't do something that people are going to get killed. That's, that's not the free speech we're talking about. But here CNN is spreading a obviously fake or, or you know misleading data that is driving protests, looting, and deaths all over the country. Why is it legal? Think about it. Why is it it legal for CNN to report data that clearly drives protests and violence all over the country while we're having it? It's not even a hypothetical, theoretical question. It's happening right now. And they put this on the air as a respectable, allegedly, news organization. It is really close to yelling fire in a crowded theater, isn't it? Because imagine if they had said this. I know it's hard to imagine, but imagine if they had said this. Um, If you look at the number of police stops, it's fairly comparable. And uh, we haven't asked anybody in Black Lives Matter to respond to that, but uh, we'd like to get an an interview on that. How different would the world be if CNN were reporting the data analyzed correctly? pretty different yeah it seems that CNN uh, has blood on their hands Uh, the trouble is that you could take this argument pretty far and it would close down the news business because it would be easy to say well what about what about Hannity saying something medical that people believed to which I'd say "Mm, uh, good point (laughs) right yeah the the trouble is that if you made it actually illegal to do that what cnn is doing that is clearly killing people you'd have to extend that to the news saying anything that gets people killed and unfortunately it's so common both on the left and the right that you know not not because they're necessarily doing it intentionally uh, although i think cnn is doing this intentionally that would be my guess it's hard to know but it feels intentional um because I'd hate to think they're this dumb. What do you think? Do you think Caitlin Collins actually doesn't know that she is analyzing it wrong? Do you think she doesn't know? In, in the comments, tell me your opinion. Because we can't read her mind, and I, I'm trying to catch myself from doing the thing I most criticize in other people, which is, no, you're not a mind reader. You don't know what a stranger is thinking. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull back Uh, my statement that it seems obvious it's intentional because I'm not sure it is obvious. I don't know that it is obvious. I'm I'm looking at your comments. Yes, no, no. Of course they know. Yes, they know. Dumb. Uh, (laughs) Swalwell secretly loves Goya beans. Okay, that's kind of funny. She doesn't know. She doesn't know. Others saying it's intentional, clueless, 50-50. She knows, she knows, I think they know, she's not trained. Yeah, so she may not have the type of uh, analytical background necessary, but I wonder if she's ever even heard the argument. Because I even wonder that, don't you? It makes sense that people who only watch CNN don't see the arguments on Fox, but do the commentators and the professionals who actually work there do they also not see the argument on the other side? They, somebody says she has a boss. That's true. Yeah, Caitlin Collins has a boss, and CNN you know, is coordinated enough that if anybody at CNN knew it was wrong, she would hear about it, right? <laughs> if anybody at CNN knew that number was wrong, they'd tell somebody else and say, hey, hey, I heard you say that on the air. You should correct that. So does nobody at CNN know that's wrong? <laughs> yeah, that, that would be a bigger reach, wouldn't it? All right. That is what I have to say for today. I would like to give you a little, uh, a little encouragement. Uh, ask yourself who have been your most reliable public figures. One of the things I told you early on was uh, when, the, when the pandemic first started closing things down, one of the things I told you is that nobody in the United States would starve. Right? I told you that directly. I said, no, no risk. Nobody's going to starve in this country. Nobody did. Now, it's, it's, you know, it's hard, but everybody's eaten. I told you that we would probably be able to borrow or not borrow necessarily, but print money massively because we're in this unique situation where uh, demand is so low that inflation can't happen. And that's the main reason you don't want to print money. Sure enough, we printed gazillions of dollars and nobody's, nobody's sounding the warning about inflation because I had accurately, deduced that we could just print money and print our way out of it in this weird, unique situation. That's exactly what happened. Who told you uh, way before we started getting serious about China that China was an enemy, not a a trading partner? I did. I told you that two years before it became obvious to basically the entire United States. Who told you that when the recovery started the economic recovery, that it would be faster than the experts predicted. I did. I, the president did too. But I told you clearly and often when the recovery starts, it's going to be impressive in a way you've never seen before. It'll be, it'll be jaw-dropping. And it is. Right? So when you were following me in the, in my, when I was doing my evening uh, periscopes, a lot of what I was doing is trying to um, try to talk you off the ledge that things aren't as bad as they look, and, I, and the reason I'm pointing this out is not just to brag, although bragging's good. I'm never I'm never opposed to bragging. <laughs> if you ever see, if you ever hear me say anything like that, I would be lying. Um, I do think that it is functional and useful for people to, especially in the public, to tell you what they got right. As I get things wrong, I'll tell you that too. I'll probably spend less time telling you what I got wrong. Why wouldn't I? Um, but, but, but think about that. Now, the other thing that I said, um, I didn't say it often, but those of you who are regulars will back me up. I also said you better not wait for a vaccine, a vac- yeah, vaccinations. You better not wait for medical science because I don't think you're going to have a, a vaccination you know, in time to save the economy, et cetera. And then we're just going to have to live with the virus. And it looks like it. It looks like the situation is we're simply going to have to adapt to living with the virus until, who knows, you know, maybe it's a year and a half from now when we've got something. So, yeah, the stock market's at an all-time high. And here's the other thing which I predicted. It'll take a little bit longer for this to unwind which is the total shaking of the box of the economy and the rethinking of everything from education to the food supply to really everything, Uh, the rethinking of all that will actually be an economic stimulus because it creates all all kinds of new businesses to wind up, etc. So I think the economy is going to be a good spot. I think that um, there really isn't much option except to live with... uh, a grotesque amount of coronavirus deaths, and we're just going to deal with it because we're at war. We're at war with the virus, and it's the weirdest kind of war because the civilians are all in, and the and the most vulnerable among us are on the front lines, in a sense, because they have the, the most vulnerability. So somebody says it's too soon to tell about inflation. That is correct. You, you always have that risk of future inflation, But let me say this as clearly as possible. If we get to the point where inflation is a problem, we've really done well. (laughs) Yeah, now Moderna has a a vaccine uh, that they think will work. Looks promising. Need a little extra testing. We'll see how that goes. Fingers crossed. And uh, the election will be the end. I don't know what that means. Oh, and, and you mean if a uh, Democrat gets elected? Yeah. So let me update the slaughter meter. The slaughter meter is at 100%. Uh, if nothing changed between now and election, uh, the slaughter meter says there's 100% chance of Trump being reelected. But, of course, lots of things will change. So it's not a prediction. It's just a fun little point in time that says unless something changes but it will change. We, The last time, I mean, I started doing the slaughter meter always with the, the caveat that until something changes, and it will, before the coronavirus. <laughs> I mean, really. Uh, it was so obvious that there would be big things between you know, now and November, but I didn't think it would be that big. Um, why should we have to live with the deaths? Other countries are managing it much better. Uh, Let me answer it this way. Those other countries that have gotten it under control, that's not going to stay that way. There is no scenario that anybody can think of in which the countries that get it under control don't lose control of it pretty soon. You get that, right? If any country got their uh, infections down to zero, they would also have to close all travel. It's the only way it would stay to zero. And the first thing you do when, you're, you know, when you get it down to zero is you say, hey, let's open things up. If there's any international travel, the odds of all the countries getting the in- infections under control is zero. There's no chance. There's, there's no plan. There's Nobody has a, a way to do that. Nothing. There's nothing you can do. All right, so slaughter Meter at 100% until something changes, but you know it will. And that's all I got for today, and I'll talk to you later.